Welcome to Keep Them Wild, the podcast that brings you the latest wildlife news and discussions on wildlife conservation, ethics, and welfare. We're your hosts, Larea and Solon. Welcome back to Keep Them Wild, the wildlife news podcast. I'm your host, Larea, and today I'm flying solo for our first animal awareness mini episode as we celebrate Global Tiger Day. Global Tiger Day is celebrated every year on July 29th as a way to raise awareness about this magnificent but very endangered big cat. The day was founded in 2010 when the 13 Tiger Range countries came together to create T by 2, which was an initiative to double the global number of wild tigers by 2022. So the 13 range countries are India, Nepal, Bhutan, Bangladesh, Myanmar, Russia, China, Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam. According to WWF, now known as the Worldwide Fund for Nature, but formerly known as the World Wildlife Fund, estimate that tiger populations have declined from a population of 100,000 a century ago to an all-time low of as few as 3,200 tigers in 2010. So that same year, these 13 Tiger Range governments came together for the first time at the St. Petersburg Summit to commit to doubling the number of wild tigers by 2022. And they chose 2022 because that was the next Chinese year of the tiger. So the big question is, did the T-by-2 project reach its goal of doubling their tiger populations by 2022? So like I said, in 2010, when T-by-2 was created, there was an estimated 3,200 wild tigers worldwide. And in 2022, the global tiger tiger population had increased to 4,600. So in short, no, T by 2 did not reach its goal. But if we look at the details, it turns out that wild tiger populations are increasing in India, Nepal, Bhutan, Russia, and China, thanks in part to the work of T by 2. And in fact, Nepal more than doubled their numbers from 121 tigers in 2010 to 355 tigers in 2022. The WWF's Impact on Tiger Recovery 2010 to 2022 report highlights some of the successes in tiger conservation. This includes the designation of the world's largest tiger protected area in China and a national park in Russia known as the Land of the Leopard, where tiger numbers have tripled. In Bhutan's Royal Manus National Park, the report explains that the use of the spatial monitoring and report tool SMART and other conservation measures have resulted in a doubling of tiger numbers since 2012. Apparently, the Kakta Forest Conservation Area, which is a transboundary corridor between India and Nepal, was recently awarded for conservation excellence because this conservation area was transformed from just 115 hectares of forest to 3,800 hectares and is used by 46 individual tigers. While according to this report, the global estimate for wild tigers may be on the rise, their range has continued to decline and tigers today are restricted to less than 5% of their historic range. Also, scientists urge cautious optimism because it could be the advances in counting tigers that may explain the possible increases and not true increases in tiger numbers. In 2016, the Wildlife Conservation Society published a statement pointing out the issues with counting methodologies. And I'm actually just going to go ahead and read this whole statement because it points out a lot of the issues that tigers face and some of the issues with the conservation plans thus far. This statement was published April 15th, 2016. On Sunday, April 10th, the World Wildlife Fund, WWF, and the Global Tiger Forum, GTF, issued a report stating that the world's wild tiger population was on the rise and on track for a doubling in a decade. 
We do not find this report and its implications scientifically convincing. Having devoted years of our lives trying to understand and save wild tigers, we believe their conservation should be guided by the best possible science. Using flawed survey methods can lead to incorrect conclusions, an illusion of success, and slackening of conservation efforts when in reality grave concern is called for. Glossing over serious methodological flaws or weak and incomplete data to generate feel-good news is a disservice to conservation because tigers now occupy only 7% of their historic range. A recent World Conservation Union IUCN assessment showed 40% loss in the last decade and a spike in poaching pressures in many regions. Cambodia, Vietnam, Lao PDR, and China have virtually lost all viable tiger populations in recent years. This is not a time for conservationists to take their eyes off the ball and pat each other on the back. And that's, and just to pause here from this statement from WCS, that's exactly why I'm sharing this, because I do really want to celebrate the successes and I do want to give people hope, but I think we also need to keep the real issue at hand and make sure that we understand the reality of the situation. So back to the statement. There is no doubt that wildlife managers in parts of India and even in specific reserves in South East Asia and Russia have made commendable conservation efforts leading to the recoveries in specific tiger populations. India has invested massively in recovering several tiger populations over the last four decades. This has been possible because of strong political, administrative, and public support rarely matched anywhere else. And I'm really glad that they pointed this out because this really shows what it takes to save a species. You really need strong political backing. You really need an organized effort and you really need the public to be on board. Such sporadic tiger recovery should be monitored using statistically robust camera trap or DNA surveys. Rigorous scientific studies in India, Thailand, and Russia demonstrate this can indeed be done, but these studies also indicate that tiger recovery rates are slow and not likely to attain levels necessary for the doubling of wild tigers within a decade. And this is what we saw. We didn't see that they doubled. Estimates of tiger numbers for large landscapes, regions, and countries currently in vogue in the global media for a number of countries are largely derived from weak methodologies. They are sometimes based on extrapolations from tiger spore, which are tracks and droppings, surveys, or spore surveys alone. While spore surveys can be useful for knowing where tigers occur, they are not useful for reliably counting their numbers. Translating spore counts to tiger numbers poses several statistical problems that remain unresolved, which can lead to fundamentally flawed claims of changes in tiger numbers. Source populations of tigers that occur at high densities and which are likely to produce surplus animals that can disperse and expand populations now occupy less than 10% of the remaining 1.2 million square kilometers of tiger habitat. Almost 70% of wild tigers survive within these source sites. They are recovering slowly, only in some reserves where protection has improved. Outside these sources, sites lie vast sink landscapes, which are continuing to lose tigers in habitat due to hunting as well as rural and developmental pressure. With the above considerations in view, even taking these putative tiger numbers at face value, simple calculations show that doubling of the world's tigers in 10 years as hoped for in the report is not a realistic proposition.
and and we've seen that in reality they didn't reach this goal. Assuming 70 to 90 percent of wild tigers are in source populations with slow growth, such an anticipated doubling of global tiger numbers would demand an increase between 364 to 831 percent in these sink landscapes. We believe this to be an unlikely scenario. Rather than engaging in these tiger number games that distract from reality, conservationists now must focus on enhancing and expanding recovery and monitoring of source populations while protecting the remaining habitat and their linkages, all the while being guided by the best of science. So I wanted to read this because it really outlines what's necessary and it also brings to question how optimistic we should be and I'm sure that WWF really wanted to give people hope because when people have hope they want to take action but WCS also has valid concerns by because they're worried that if people have too much hope the right amount of action will not be taken. Again, this was published in 2016 and it is clear that more needs to be done to protect tigers, especially because we did not reach that goal of doubling their populations by 2022. Across their range, tigers face unrelenting pressures from habitat loss, poaching for the illegal wildlife trade, and their body parts, which are usually sold for use in traditional Chinese medicine. And then they're also killed in retaliatory killings as a result of tiger conflict with livestock and people. Now that we've covered the history on World Tiger Day and have a population status update, Let's just talk about tigers. There is currently one recognized species of tiger with the scientific name Panthera tigris. There are two recognized subspecies of tigers as of 2017 recognized by the IUCN Red List. The continental tiger, whose scientific name is Panthera tigris tigris, and the Sunda tiger, which is found on Sumatra and was previously found on some of the other islands of Indonesia, and its scientific name is Panthera tigris sondeca. These subspecies are further divided into subgroups or subpopulations based on their geographic locations. So prior to 2017, a lot of sources are going to list these subgroups as subspecies, and all of these subgroups have three names like a subspecies. For example, the two recognized subspecies by the IUCN are Panthera tigris tigris and Panthera tigris sondeca. But in a lot of reports, you're still going to see the Siberian or Amur tiger named Panthera tigris altaica. And you're going to see this with the other subgroups as well, that they still retain their subspecies name. I don't really know how important this is. And I actually found it kind of convoluted when I was trying to research and determine whether there were subspecies or subgroups. But based on the research I did, that is the best that I could figure out. So of these subgroups... There are five extant, meaning they're still living, and three extinct subgroups. So the continental subgroups are the Bengal tigers, which live on the Indian subcontinent, the Amur tiger, which lives in Russia and China and North Korea, the South China tiger, which lives in South Central China, the Indo-Chinese tiger, which are found in continental Southeast Asia, and then there's one extinct group of continental tiger which is the Caspian tiger and they used to roam from Turkey through Central and West Asia. 
The Sunda subgroups include the Sumatran tiger, which is the only extant subgroup of Sunda tiger, but there used to be the Javan tiger, which is on the island of Java, and the Bali tiger, which was on the island of Bali. The continental subspecies, Panthera tigris tigris, has a population of around 3,500, and Panthera tigris sondeca, the Sunda island tigers, have a population on Sumatra of less than 400. At the current rate of habitat loss, poaching, and killing, the Sumatran tiger is currently projected to go extinct by the year 2025 unless significant change in conservation efforts and policies take place. Take pl- Tigers weigh between 220 to 660 pounds. The largest known tiger is an Amur tiger and the smallest tiger are the Sumatran tigers. And their habitats range from tropical rainforests, evergreen forests, temperate forests, mangrove swamps, grasslands, and savannas. Tigers have reddish-orange coats with prominent black stripes, white bellies, and white spots on their ears. And like a human fingerprint, no two tigers have the same exact markings, which makes it easy for researchers to use their stripe patterns to identify different individuals when studying tigers in the wild. Like all the other big cats, tigers are obligate carnivores, and they can consume more than 80 pounds of meat at one time. On average, tigers give birth to two to four cubs every two years, and tigers generally gain independence at around two years of age and attain sexual maturity at an age of three or four for females and four or five for males. Juvenile mortality is really high, and so only about half of all cubs survive more than two years. Tigers have been known to reach up to 20 years of age in the wild. Since we are a news podcast, I wanted to share an article with you that was published in Science Magazine titled, Tigers Have Distinct Personalities According to Big Cat Questionnaire. Findings suggest aggressive tigers may be mentally wired to fare better than their cautious counterparts. So here's the article. To thrive in some of the harshest environments on Earth, Siberian tigers rely on thick coats of fur, fine-tuned night vision, and razor-sharp claws, but another critical survival tool is not so easily glimpsed their personality. Scientists led by Rosalind Arden, a cognitive researcher at the London School of Economics and Political Science, wanted to plumb the psyche of these fierce felines. They turned to 248 Siberian tigers living in two wildlife sanctuaries in northeastern China where groups of tigers roamed in fenced-in swaths of forest or snowy grasslands. The team invited more than 50 feeders and veterinarians to fill out questionnaires with lists of 67 to 70 adjectives that describe tiger personality traits for each cat in their care. These words range from savage and imposing to dignified and friendly. The researchers designated the questionnaire to mimic human personality tests. In total, the caretakers completed more than 800 questionnaires offering the researchers multiple personality surveys on each tiger. A battery of statistical analyses revealed whether particular adjectives clustered around certain tigers. Two distinct personality types emerged that accounted for nearly 40% of tiger behaviors. The tigers that scored higher on words such as confident, competitive, and ambitious fell under what the researchers labeled as the majesty mindset. Those that exhibited traits such as obedience, tolerance, and gentleness were grouped together under the steadiness mindset. Together, these two personalities explain 38% of the behavioral differences displayed by the tigers in the study. These personality types seem to make a difference. Based on their weights and eating habits, the tigers with majesty mindsets were generally healthier than those with steadiness personalities. They also hunted more, mated more often, and had more breeding success. 
Tigers that scored higher on majesty traits also appeared to have higher social status than tigers that scored higher on steadiness traits, according to their caretakers. The researchers stressed that more evidence is needed to determine why tigers with majesty mindsets appear to fare better than their steadier peers. The researchers hope that fleshing out the personalities of the world's largest cats will bolster ongoing efforts to conserve them in the wild. Understanding how a particular tiger is wired may help conservationists manage its interaction with nearby human inhabitants, livestock, and even other tigers. And that is really why I decided to share this article. It may be fun and a little bit silly, but anyone who has had a pet cat or a dog for that matter is keenly aware of the fact that they have distinct personalities, but acknowledging the fact that animals have personalities from a scientific perspective, especially wild animals, is still fairly recent and it really shapes the way that we view wild animals. People tend to care about their pets more than other animals because we relate to them and we relate to their personality traits. I think this is a really cool study. Acknowledging that tigers have personalities just like our dogs and cats will hopefully make us care about them more. And hopefully this is something that we'll start to acknowledge in other wild species too, that they have rich internal lives that are definitely not so different from our beloved pets and should be given the same kind of care and consideration as the animals that we love so much in our homes. Before we end today's podcast, I want to shout out some of the organizations working tirelessly to conserve tigers. If you want to learn more about what you can do to help tigers, or if you're looking for a place to donate, these organizations are a great place to start. And I'll have their links in the show notes. I'd say the biggest organizations that are working to support tiger conservation are Panthera, the Wildlife Conservation Society India, the Wildlife Conservation Society Indonesia, and WWF. And these organizations support conservation research and also work with governments to create and implement national action plans. And they're really the ones that are promoting law enforcement to address illegal encroachment and logging. You can check out each of these organizations individually to see some of their more specific and unique projects. But overall, these are the ones doing that big national work. Another large organization is Born Free which has community education programming and anti-poaching programs in both India and Thailand. If you're more interested in smaller organizations, there's the Nepal Tiger Trust, and they work in the field to help understand tiger movement patterns, dispersal, population structure, communication, reproduction, and the longevity of tigers in the western part of Chitwan National Park. And in addition to overall tiger counting and tiger research, they also are proactive in patrolling these parks. The Sanctuary Nature Foundation has a robust education program called Kids for Tigers, which has become India's largest mass movement to save tigers, impacting over one million children. The David Shepherd Foundation helps to protect tiger populations throughout Asia, and they support frontline tiger conservation initiatives in India, Thailand, and Russia. And they provide funding for undercover investigations and exposés into the illegal wildlife trade. Even though Global Tiger Day was created to raise awareness about tiger conservation and its aim is to keep tigers alive in the wild, there are more captive tigers in the U.S. alone than there are wild tigers worldwide. If you want to help tigers in captivity, a couple good organizations to look into are the Big Cat Rescue and the Ear Sanctuary, which are both in the United States. Other ways you can help support tigers in captivity and the wild is to, of course, never buy anything that possesses tiger parts. Also avoid supporting places that provide tiger interaction experiences. 
Often these types of establishments have taken tigers out of the wild or support the illegal trade of tigers and do not meet wellness standards for them. It's important to remember that the majority of big cats really don't want to interact with humans. So if you see an establishment where this is taking place and is selling opportunities to pet or touch tigers, this should be a major red flag. The tigers in these situations are often drugged to make them more docile. And even though some of these places will say that their rescues are sanctuaries, this is not the life of a rescued tiger, but a tiger that is being exploited for money. Real tiger rescues have limited tours and prioritize tiger health safety, and stress over providing a certain experience for human clientele. They have large enclosures that provide tigers with places to hide and relax and provide adequate nutrition and mental stimulation for the tigers. If you want the opportunity to see tigers in a rescuer sanctuary, do your research. Please make sure this is a verified organization that puts tigers first, and probably the best way to see tigers is through documentaries that show what tigers are really like in the wild. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Wild, and if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Keep Them Wild. If you enjoyed it, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. If you have suggestions on stories, topics, or other content, please email us at adventurersforanimals at gmail.com.